The College Game Day podcast is presented by Old Dominion Freight Line, helping the world keep promises. We got a real simple plan. One me and one mission. Georgia has won the national championship. You're a fan, you might think this is sports heaven. This might be college football heaven. This is ESPN's College Game Day podcast. Now alongside Pete Thamel, is Reese Davis. Giving new meaning to Smoky Mountains, there is a team that is closer than anyone else to the playoff now, and seasons were saved on a seismic Saturday. This is the College Game Day podcast for Monday, October 17th. Reese Davis and Pete Thamel on what was one of the wildest, most entertaining, uh, most thrilling weekends of college football in recent memory. The Tennessee win over Alabama, TCU's rally against Oklahoma State, and then you finish it off with USC and Utah, and Utah giving Lincoln Riley his first loss. But Pete, you have to start on Rocky Top, where... That, I mean, that was just a, a game back and forth, a win for the ages for them, a coming of age. And I said right off the top, there's a team that is closer to the playoff than anyone else right now, and it is the Tennessee Volunteers. Whether you're ranking them number one or not, which I'm not, I, I kept Ohio State there, and mm. I have Tennessee number two. But Tennessee has the fewest obstacles and the most direct path to the playoff as we speak right now. So you think they sail in if they lose in Athens and are eleven I, and one? I do. That's exactly that's exactly my point. But look, barring a forty nine seven loss or mm-hmm. you know something unfortunate, um, you know like Hendon Hooker not being available for the postseason, which you know, barring something unforeseen that you would never want to think about, I think I think just don't screw up any other game. Play your tails off. If you win in Athens, great. You go and try to win the SEC and and get in that Mm -hmm. way. But, I mean, would you really, if you looked at them right now, road win at Pittsburgh, great win over Alabama, close loss against Georgia, running through the rest of the SEC, and some of those other wins might look pretty good. LSU all of a sudden didn't look so bad uh, in Gainesville. To me, it'd be be hard to keep them out because nobody else is really going to have that level of win. Or and if you like to measure tight losses, assuming and I'm not assuming they're going to lose in Athens. I'm just saying, yeah. Sure. Who else is going to have a, a tougher tight loss than that? No, I, very very fair. As I spin through my uh, creaky Rolodex of a mind and try to come up with one loss playoff participants who did not play in their conference title game, Ohio State with Urban Meyer that lost at Penn State on the block punt comes to mind. Nittany Lions mm-hmm. win the win the Big Ten, don't get in. Penn State president starts clamming for the playoff expansion, which they then voted against. Um, but <laughs> that that one scenario comes to my mind. Is that the only one, Reese? You're encyclopedic about this. Alabama Alabama won the national championship in 2017 and didn't play in the SEC didn't championship play in the SEC. game. Okay. All right. They um you know they were kind of beat up on defense late in the year. They lost at Auburn. You know, Auburn then lost to Georgia in the rematch. Alabama got in over I think over Ohio State in that fourth spot. And Alabama beat Clemson and then the that was the two a walk off year too. So right. um so it's happened and you know by I don't want to go down this rabbit hole but I do want yeah. to say this again for the 500th time. Penn State should not have been in the playoff that year. They lost 49 to 10 to Michigan. 
You can't Amen. you yeah. can't lose a game when every game is evaluated the way it is in the small field of the playoff. You can lose, but you can't lose by a thousand like that. And they did, you know, so they won their Big Ten championship. Good for them. But that's old history. The new the new era here, we may well have uh, some new blood and it may well be Tennessee coming in the playoff. You know, I think the one thing that won't get reported on, there won't be big articles written about it. There won't be GoFundMe pages uh, set up for it. But you and I made one of the great escapes in the history of college football at the end of the Alabama-Tennessee game. Now, understand something. We understand that we are blessed and privileged to be able to watch games from the press box or from the sidelines. So Pete and I are on the sidelines. At the end of the Alabama-Tennessee game, we have a flight to catch, but we're not leaving this game, right? So Rachel, who is uh, one of our uh, exceptional staff members who, who gets us from point A to point B, uh, I'd said to her, Rachel, Rachel Smith, a bulldog, no less. She is a, a Georgia fan, and she knows ball, and she loves ball, and getting married soon, and we, we wish her the best. Why she's having a football season wedding, I'm not really sure, mm, but I'm, still, I'm yeah. still hoping it goes well. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we had talked to Rachel and said, when this clock hits zero, there is no time to lose because they're, they're coming. They're going to tear down the goalpost. They're going to storm the field. The rest of the people are going to get out and start blocking traffic, and we've got no chance if we don't beat them. Ball sails through the uprights. Pete and I are Desmond Howard. Okay, that's that's exaggerated, but we're running as fast as we can for, for old out-of-shape guys or old moderate-shape guys. Mm. Rachel sprinting in the car, boom, ahead of the field, no traffic, make our flight. It was it might in my eight years on game day, and I've had a few dandy escapes. Uh, Foo, who orchestrates all of this, got me out of Kyle Field after the double overtime game with Tennessee a few years ago, and that was at the top. But Rachel might have beaten him uh, Saturday. That was a great one because basically they tore the place down right after we left. You know what I mean? Yes. It, was, it was pretty good. So you use an interesting word. Um, you said sailed through the uprights. So we are 100 yards away, maybe even 120 yards away from where that ball went through the uprights. We happen to be on the opposite side. That's where we needed to get out of the stadium. I did not realize until I saw some highlights uh, the next morning what a knuckleball that kick was. That kick would what that kick wouldn't have got three if they were graded on style points. Yeah. <laughs> that thing was like Tim Wakefield. Bzz, 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 bzz. <laughs> and we were so far away. And just literally, we I didn't look for a signal. I didn't, I couldn't really see it from a sideline 120 yards away. We just listened. And mm -hmm. That told you everything you need to know. And there were some great, I went down a little rabbit hole last night. There were some great like reaction videos that people posted of like the fans storming. And like, uh, it was, it was, a uh, it was a, like an all a, a decade and a half long catharsis, just all streamed out. Uh, and it was an amazing passion play that whole game. That is one of my favorite regular season games that I've ever covered. Cause you could just feel the angst. You could feel Credit Tennessee for not flinching because you could feel it in the stands. You could feel the nervous tension. You could feel the oh no, here we go again. Um, as as everything uh, as as everything played out. So, yeah, what a wild, awesome scene! It's so great for the sport to have old General Nealon Stadium rocking and rolling again because that place was a snake pit. What a great 
electric uh, environment. Just the the fans were in early. They were on every play. Uh, They impacted the game, Reese, maybe as much as I can ever remember in a big top 10 game, an opposing stadium impacting the game. Um, I, I would imagine if you went through the box score of those 17 Alabama penalties, you could chalk up at least a third of them to the crowd just gumming them up on false starts. Uh, you know, Bryce Young, I saw him trying to scream audibles, and I was like, what are you doing? There's no chance, you know, watching field level that anybody can hear what you're saying. Yeah, he, he ended up going up almost to individual linemen and, and yeah. getting it, uh, making the adjustments and the checks. I would even say the, the crowd impacted the officials a few times, not in terms of when they threw flight. They lost count of the downs. Yeah. Once that everybody knew about and another times when they did a little CYA and announced that they were doing something else, but they, they lost track of the downs. They, uh, they lost track of the number of men on the field when they were down in that one really loud end when Alabama ended up burning a timeout because they were confused. Um, you know, it was, it, it was an intense atmosphere for everyone involved, players, fans, officials, broadcasters watching from the sidelines it was uh, an amazing environment you know that is the that is the one thing but before we go further we can review is brought to you by Eckridge smoked sausage find them in the refrigerated meat aisle at your favorite grocery store to create a one-of-a-kind sausage recipe Eckridge you do you another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You know, Pete, that was one of the things that you know, I don't like to come on here and say, boy, what a great show we had on College Game Day on Saturday morning. So instead, I'm going to come on here and say, man, what a great show we had on College Game Day Saturday morning. And I'm not saying that other than to say everybody involved in it did a tremendous job of preparation. But there are certain moments over the course of the season where you capture everything you had hoped to going into an environment. I had a really good uh, sense of what it was going to be like having grown up around this rivalry, uh, having a great number of friends who are, you know, died in the wool, dedicated uh, Tennessee people, knowing what that would mean to them to win that game. And we have one on staff, too. Yeah, yeah we, yeah, we have some on staff, too. And it was a we, – we were able to, to capture that emotion – we were able to foreshadow what the aftermath of the game would be like by hearkening back to the 1982 game, which was very similar in circumstance in terms of Alabama's dynasty, you know, their legendary head coach, the frustration they had handed out Tennessee. 
The only difference in the two, well, there are two differences. One, Tennessee wasn't great that year, and they were basically just playing for the upset. And two, the World's Fair wasn't going on across the street as it was in 1982. <laughs> but the, the catharsis, the tearing down the goalposts, the marching them from one end to the other, the throwing them in the river, everything, you know, if it was, would have been 40 years to the day on Sunday. You do that, you have Peyton Manning come in and lead the band, which was another iconic moment when a long Tennessee losing streak to Alabama ended with Peyton Manning leading the band. We were able to capture that. Pat McAfee's backflip into the into the Tennessee River and almost flip or a flop. Yeah, well, if you really watched the film, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But the other part was um, Josh Heupel came on with Herbie and me, yeah. broke down some X's and O's, and you know certainly without giving away game plan, talked about some of the things that ended up being extraordinarily problematic for Alabama and extraordinarily beneficial for Tennessee on the field in terms of the way they attack. Again, I, I've done the show for like six minutes, so I don't know anything about anything. I mean, Peyton Manning was unbelievable. Mm. Like just to, just to have him there as a as a as a guest picker, you know, he was just fantastic. Um, I got the uh, I got the sense. Uh, so I got to go over in the ten o'clock hour of our show. I got to go over to SEC Nation to do uh, to do some updates uh, over there. So it, it was for me the rare time. That amid, amid a show, I got, just got to see the environment. You know what I mean? Because it was probably like a half mile away, zipped over there on a, on a golf cart, and you could just you could first of all the the set where we were when I pulled up. Uh, I think we were in the same car in the morning we at six yeah. six thirty in the morning. There were, the line was a half mile long to get into the game easily. Set. Yeah. So you were just like you were like, and it was. I remember pulling up, you know, pre dawn a month ago, and I was like, this is unbelievable. There's thousands of people here already, and it was way more um for, from that so uh yeah i i think one of the great parts of covering college sports reese is the the longing that they're so interwoven through the identity of cities states towns uh fan bases so much more than professional sports that the the longing for these moments is different so when there is a breakthrough when there is a first when there is uh you know finally getting back at a rival um or even being able to call them one at this point for for Tennessee when you do get those breakthroughs they're just more meaningful cuz the the sports just woven so much deeper through the culture than it is and this is not a criticism NFL people love their NFL teams and there's the Packers and all that stuff but like it it was just personal for for these folks to uh, to, to have that, and um, there's a couple of things I'll always remember from from that day, and it was a it was a remarkable, memorable day. Um, one is the 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 look on Bryce Young's face because uh, we happen to be standing. On, we, it's always easier to stand on the visiting sideline when you go to a game because there's less people. So it wasn't right, like we were yeah. rooting for Alabama. There's just yeah. less humans around and you're not in the way. And it's also it was also close to the room where we went in halftime. It was close to the cars where you know yeah. where we no, had to just, I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. It just made sense. Yeah. So anyway, we yeah. we happened to be standing where Bryce Young came and it was uh it was middle of the third quarter, late third quarter, the things right in the right in the throws. And Bryce Young looked so calm, so calm. He was laughing, dapping up his linemen, joke like you could tell. Uh, you could tell that that moment was. And again, they didn't win. He, he completed three passes there, and they 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 hung the field goal kicker out to dry a little bit. Probably should have run one there. We can talk about mm -hmm. that more later. Yeah. But like, just the joy he had in that moment, I thought was really cool. Now, Hendon Hooker obviously came out all every bit of the twenty four year old bloodless assassin that he is, and uh, and and ultimately got it done. Um, 
But I'll just you just you know when Bryce Young is obviously going to be in the American football consciousness for the next ten years, hopefully fifteen, right? Like I will never forget just how amid chaos, amid all the defensive busts, amid everything that was happening, all the penalties, he was just bopping around like it was you know like a like a like a spring seven on seven at Matter Day, you know, like and they were going to go, <laughs> all right, we got to go, we got to go beat the, uh, you know, we got to go beat. Uh, you know, Santa Margarita today or something like that. It was just, it was, he just had a remarkable, uh, remarkable way about him. So um, my he other, favorite, he was brilliant, Pete. That game's oh a blowout without him. I mean, yeah. he, yeah. I've said for a while, and I don't even mean this, Tennessee did a good job and some of it was Alabama's rush three drop eight. Will Anderson didn't have as big an impact on the game as he typically does. I, I've been saying for two years that Will Anderson's the best player in the sport. Bryce Young won the Heisman last year and deserved it. Will Anderson's still great. Bryce Young's the best player because he he's carrying the team. That's not to say he'll win the Heisman. I don't think he's going to, and I don't necessarily think that he's having a Heisman season. I would have Hooker number one at the Heisman. Bryce Young's a magician, and that, that game is an ugly beatdown if he's average. I mean, if he's hurt and average, I'm not even talking about if you know a backup plays – I'm talking about if he's not Bryce Young, then mm-hmm. he he kept him in that. It was a it was a sensational performance by him to to make it to make it a thrill. I don't want to spend this whole time. I mean, it's worthy. I do want to hit one more thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your reaction to the? I know it's in fun uh, and it's not totally serious because I mean they've been ready to pay the hundred thousand dollar fine to the SEC and pay the you know, 20 grand or whatever it's going to cost to replace the goalpost for a long time. But Tennessee's doing this fun thing. You can donate, you know, 16 bucks uh, for in honor of the ending of the streak. You can donate $52.49 in honor of the score. It sort of strikes me as as like saying, um, hey, why doesn't everybody come over for a party? Everything's on me. Then after you have a great time on the way out the door, you say, hey, how about how about dropping a little in the change bucket to help us pay for this a little bit? I, there's there's a part of it that's funny and intense. Yeah. And there's a little part of it that seems a little uh, like, why are you guys doing this? How about just asking for a donation in a different way in honor of it? But so, I, it I thought it was genius uh, for two reasons. One, it is straight from the Danity White. We're going to hang a national championship at UCF banner, right? <laughs> it is going to your fans are going to love it. Your, your your rivals are going to hate it and people are going to talk about it for a long time. So I think from a, a marketing perspective, they had a historic win. They dominated one of the great days we've had in the sport in the last decade. They were the dominant story. And they said, you know what? We're going to flip this out there and we're going to make sure Monday morning we're still the dominant story. Wait, um, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I want Taylor and Sarah to mark this moment in podcast history because this is the moment. When Pete takes the nice approach and I'm the cynics and hey, you're playing <laughs> on people's emotions. You're taking the everyday Tennessee fan at the height of his revelry. And he said, let me sneak in that pocketbook for for fifty two dollars and forty nine cents if I can. <laughs> yes, we've, we've officially traded places. That is, a, have, that, is a, that is a wonderful uh, that is a wonderful observation. Uh, I'm I'm now gonna go like uh, mutter to myself and swear a bunch this morning because I've clearly gone uh, I've clearly gone soft. Uh, <laughs> I just thought that it was it was sort of a a genius like Danny White marketing move because like three quarters of the country is gonna hate it. It was like when he hung a, a national championship banner at UCF 
and they got they got more airtime on the Paul Feinbaum show at UCF for declaring a national championship than uh, <laughs> pretty much anyone other than Alabama. Like it was unbelievable how divisive that came. So you can you can save a hundred bucks, hundred grand from the bottom line. You can give all the people that were there in that marvelous environment. You could give them a sense of like. Okay, I own one one ninety eight thousandth of that goalpost. Like that's, I own that's a fleck fair. of that yeah. paint. Yeah. So, like, if you're a sophomore and you give your Wednesday beer money in order to give the sixteen dollars um, to that, like, you can you can own some little part of the field, and you can feel like you were you were part of it. So, I actually checked this morning. So we're taping this on Monday morning. I was surprised it wasn't done. It was only about halfway filled. Now I'm sure by the end of the week they'll uh, they'll they'll fill it up. But I thought that thing would. People would be fighting yeah, to give money yeah. for that. Uh, it's uh, you mentioned earlier the the experience and the connection that you have. I have a a friend who is the dean of an engineering college in Indiana, uh, a man called Earl Brooks. And Dr. Brooks uh, uh, made the great mistake of bestowing a doctorate upon me uh, once for speaking at their commencement ceremonies. And he is a he is a huge Tennessee fan. And oh, wow. I wouldn't be surprised if if he donated because he was out. He was at the side of our set. Uh, I invited him in, or he had, he had reached out to me, and I'd invite him to come see the show. Complete university president now, not even the University of Tennessee president, in a Hendon Hooker jersey. <laughs> he, was, he was ready to go, man. He was, and uh, so they had they had a great day. So he he might he might have been one of those that would like to own a little fleck of little fleck of that goalpost too. That is a that is a good point to be able to say. I have a little piece of that in a, in a way that's a little bit more than than a, a memory, I guess. But it still a reminds shattered. me of the whole John. Reminds me of the John Mulaney bit. You're are you a fan of John Mulaney, the comedian? I don't. Brilliant know. comedian. He does this whole bit about how uh, when you get out of college, they call you all the time. And, uh, oh, Hello, John. This is college. Give us your money. I, <laughs> So I always think of that whenever, whenever uh, the various schools with which uh, me or my family have been associated with call us and want money. And like, hello, this is college. We want your money. <laughs> I wonder if Gene Wojciechowski, our colleague, former Vol walk-on, and uh, he did send a very classy video to you, Reese, on Saturday yeah. night of him smoking a cigar. It was not. Uh, it was not overwrought. Uh, it was not. But. The, the point was he felt good about it. So I felt good for Gene, who uh, has sort of the last time we were in Knoxville had said to me that he's miserable to he likes Tennessee so much. He's miserable to watch their games with because he paces and occasionally curses. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Gene looks at the world through maybe a, a, maybe a darker prism than I do, quite frankly, uh, which is <laughs> there's not a whole lot of UV's perspective. So I uh, was ha- I was happy to see him there. That's what these games do. They create such cool moments. You mentioned the the show. Uh, Hendon Hooker's parents came over to the show. Uh, Mr. Hooker was a great, Alan Hooker was a great quarterback at NC Central, met Peyton Manning, and they chatted a little bit. Uh, uh, Hendon had gone to the Manning Academy, Peyton had said, it was just like one of those moments where you're like, that's pretty cool. You know what I mean? These two generations kind of colliding, Peyton giving some advice to the Hookers about how to handle the draft. It was just like really, really neat. Like you get all those, like those those epic days are just a collection of those small moments and and that that sort of puts them in the the, the mosaic of uh of, of what makes everything about this sport so great Knoxville is where we were but a different set of circumstances say perhaps had uh, Utah beaten UCLA last week we might well have been in Salt Lake City for the USC Utah game on Saturday night 
that was really emotional too and showed connection of community and campus and team and fans and the sport in general as Utah honored Ty Jordan and Aaron Lowe, the, the two Utes who were tragically killed in separate incidents, grew up as boyhood friends. We showed on College Game Day Saturday morning the hand-painted helmets uh, with their likenesses on them that Utah wore along with uh, the black jerseys and what was a frenzied atmosphere in Rice-Eccles Stadium. And, and their fans, too, poured out under the field. And in the aftermath, you could hear the emotion from Kyle Whittingham that sort of transcended winning a big game and and keeping their season from being um, uh, probably almost certainly a disappointment coming off a Pac-12 championship last year. They kept their hopes of making the conference championship game alive, but it was um, it was much more than that. The emotion was not found necessarily in what that victory meant to the season, and that was another moment of why uh, that described, I think, Pete, why college football is different from everything yes. else. Uh, that type of community and connection you just don't find with, with any other thing. Really, I don't know if you find it with anything else truly in American life. Yeah. No, I had the uh, the, the fortune of the, the last leg of my journey back from Knoxville driving and getting to listen to dueling radio teams from USC and from Utah. Um, as as that game ended, and what a fantastic uh, what a fantastic game! And in the Utah booth when they won, I mean, it sounded like like a fraternity party. I mean, it was awesome. They were just so excited and so overwrought at that moment uh, at that moment for them. And uh, yeah, you saw the emotion. I mean, you heard in Lincoln Riley's comments after the game. I mean, it, there was there was definitely. You know he was he was pretty blunt and pretty critical of the uh, of, of the officials. I'm sure that made its way to uh, Merton Hanks's desk at the at the Pac-12 on uh, on on Monday morning. But just those cauldrons of emotion, and that's really what they are. And there were different kinds of emotions, completely different in Utah on Saturday night than it was in Knoxville on uh, on on Saturday night. Um, that that's really what makes the uh, it makes the sport unique. And I think our listeners who aren't in the Mountain Time Zone would probably be surprised. Utah, Reese, is one of the great environments when oh, it's cool. It's oh, awesome. it's yeah. it is <clears throat> awesome. Yeah. I mean, they they care so much there. It's a little bandbox, a um, little bit like Eugene, right? Like I think Eugene is one of my five favorite stadiums to see a game where we're going this weekend. Um, and it's because it is a boutique hotel and not a uh, you know not a big city Marriott like a lot of these stadiums. And so, yeah, but I, I think for uh, Utah, boy. What a what a moment for Cam Rising, right? The kid who kind of bounced around and uh, has really found the right the right home and the right program and the, and the right system. Um, and for for Utah to out USC USC, I thought if Utah was going to win that game, they would win it. You know, thirty one twenty eight, they would win it in the trenches. And no, they just they just outdueled them, which was really a uh, which was really a surprising part. Sonny Dykes' fade, I thought, was underway uh, with the way the Oklahoma State TCU game started and. Another uh, outpouring of emotion as the Sonny Dykes era has gotten off to a tremendous start and rallying for a double overtime victory against Oklahoma State. The game you had to, you know, not going to pretend to have watched that from start to finish yet, just seen highlights because we were, we were at Alabama, Tennessee. But, you know, in, in keeping up with that and watching some of it during halftime, I thought the, I thought the Cowboys had kind of established a stranglehold on that game and then it turns out they didn't. And now all of a sudden, TCU's a player in this thing as we turn the corner in October. 
Yeah, you can't ignore T- TCU and you know in the in the playoff talk anymore. It's just it's just that simple. They have they have earned a seat at the table, and it's been it's been very impressive to uh, to see how they've done it. To really see a program you know transform and flip identities in in such a short period of time. Now they had always sort of attempted to have some wide open offenses as Gary Patterson kind of sputtered through their uh, their final years, but I think their identity is is pretty crisp and pretty clear now. And you're talking about a program that th- this wasn't even the starter they intended to have when the, when the season started. They were they they were going to roll with Chandler Morris and uh, good on Max Duggan. Um, I do think there's a lot of these quarterbacks we're going to see in these showcase games in the next week or so. The, and, and really, when you go throughout the sport and who's been successful for every Bryce Young who kind of rolled in as an All American and let it rip. There's guys who transferred like Hendon Hooker. There's guys who went through struggles and three win seasons like DTR did. You, you look, obviously, at Bo Nix, you know, who was hailed as a savior and, and went through some significant struggles at Auburn, who who quietly after after Oregon laid that dinosaur egg in the opener has really put together a fantastic season and is really sort of uh, living up to his potential. Um, you know, I think in our jobs, we can't obviously root for people, but we want to see great players live up to, you know, what they're supposed to be. So you feel good about you feel good about Bo Nix, but it's a little bit of a testament in this you know, era where transferring is easy and NINL money can lure you away to to to, to overcoming adversity and, and developing. I think at that position is really one of the key things that that can get lost when you're given five stars and everyone just expects you to roll, you know, roll in and start ripping it. Maybe we'll talk more about this later on in the week, but I do want to touch on it now, just in case we, we stream of consciousness sometimes on this on this podcast. And I do want to talk about Penn State, Michigan, but you bring up Bo Nix and I'm really hoping to get the opportunity to visit with him a little bit when I go out there because um, I've got tremendous respect for him. I think I've got a, a good feel for how he how he grew up in terms of some of the things that we're talking about this morning, Your this visceral connection that you have with the sport. Um, little orange and blue tigers course through his veins. He's an Auburn man through, through and through. He, his dad was a great player there. He grew up in an Auburn family. Uh, you know, there, there are photographs of him as a little kid, pictures with Cam Newton and Pat Sullivan, you know, and all Bo Jackson, all of the all of the legends from Auburn. I wonder if I, I just wonder how this is for him, how it really is for him, because this was a bit of a business decision, I'm sure. How has this impacted him as a player in terms of managing emotions at the quarterback position, in terms of not feeling like everything's on you? Maybe he never felt that way at Auburn. That's just my perception sometimes that the weight of the world of carrying this place, this program, this football team that he had loved since, you know, basically since birth, that there was this tremendous weight to save them, you know, every time when, when things would go sideways. And I'm really fascinated by what it's like for him across the country, what it's like for him not having that connection and yet playing as well as he's playing right now and an opportunity for a great stage for him uh, this weekend, you know, against UCLA, an unbeaten team, uh, a chance to really put Oregon in great shape in terms of making it to the Pac-12 championship game. And I mean, that 49-3 game is going to be an albatross. There's, there's no question about it. But if, you know, maybe if things got really hairy in November, maybe they could they could work themselves into um, into the playoff discussion should they win the Pac-12. They'd have to win the whole thing. 
And but it, I think he's one of the fascinating stories of the season as well. And I'm, I'm looking, I hope I get to visit with him a little bit when we get out there. And if not, I'm certainly looking forward to watching him play because I think it's been a, a great, a great comeback story for him at Oregon. There, there's no question. And uh, just to tease you, you had, you had written, you had, I had asked you earlier in the year on the podcast, I said, can Oregon make the college football playoff after week one. And you said, absolutely not. You can't with a blowout. And I think you referenced that Penn State, Michigan blowout did, from, yeah. from, from earlier in the year. So wouldn't it be fascinating if the two teams sitting around four or five are a one loss Oregon who lost their only game out of league and is a conference champion versus maybe Tennessee who could have one loss. And again, I, I don't want to go into like endless yeah. mind bending yeah. scenarios of that stuff, but that one would be intriguing. I'm going to just, I'm just going to leave that right there. That one would be intriguing with that, with that, with a head to head. Now I don't think Tennessee would lose to Georgia in the same way, but you also have to give Oregon. I'm glad we're, we're going to be there this week and I'm glad we're going to give them the spotlight because I think people, you just can't put teams in a box. And I think everyone would put Oregon in a 49 to seven box or 49 to three box or whatever awful box that they put themselves <laughs> in, in the Georgia dome that day. And teams grow, teams evolve. Dan Lanning's a much better coach than he was in week one. Bo Nix is much more settled in Kenny Dillingham's system than he was then. Um, you know, they, they're they starting to find an identity. They they brought in a bunch of coaches, you know, quite frankly, from the NFL and different plate. Like, it just takes a little time to adjust sometimes. Yeah. Before we move on, there's one quick thing I want to mention. The NBA is back. Get ready for the season to tip off with the low post. Zach Lowe talking basketball with the smartest people in the business. Now twice a week, follow the low post wherever you're listening to this podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A leaked tape that led to one of the biggest scandals in sports and changed the NBA forever. A podcast that unearthed it all. This is just like what 2014 was mm -hmm. like. Like, there's yeah. a lot of wild stuff happening. And now a Hulu docudrama. TMZ was calling again and again and saying, we have a tape. Do you want to comment? 30 for 30 podcasts presents The Sterling Affairs. Let's talk clips. We reshot the scene and I could barely watch it because it was so uncomfortable. It was tough. A companion podcast to the FX drama inspired by the award-winning reporting of Ramona Shelburne, one of ESPN's top NBA reporters, an LA native, and someone who has been following the story from the moment it broke. Join Ramona as she sits down with the cast and crew of the show in spoiler-filled conversations and behind-the-scenes reaction to each episode. Man, this is crazy, but these people live these lives every day. Donald Sterling, this was his lifestyle for a long time. Listen to The Sterling Affairs. Let's talk clipped wherever you get your podcasts. You know who's in a little bit of a different box now that they've played somebody and, and put a smackdown on them? Michigan. Mm -hmm. I mean, they they really, I know the score was close for a while, but in watching that game, they they were dominant to me. I, I thought they I thought they looked really good and they're continuing to grow. They're they need they certainly need more accurate downfield passing from from JJ McCarthy, but I think you're gonna continue to see improvement in that as he goes along and plays more to your point about 
needing more time. But that, that game got a little testy uh, also because of some social media banter leading up to the game. And uh, there was some there was some back and forth going into the halftime tunnel, which is which is a recipe for that at Michigan anyway, the way they leave the field. So uh, in, in similar areas. So I, I thought I thought that was another takeaway from the weekend is that is that Michigan is not just a product of its schedule. Their schedule has been soft. Non-conference schedule was uh, marshmallow soft, and that's probably an insult to marshmallows. But you know they, you know they, Penn State for whatever you think of them, is a is a legitimate solid team, and Michigan Michigan dominated them, and Michigan's in it for the long haul, I think. And you know, obviously they go to Columbus, but I think they'll arrive there with a zero in the loss column, and we'll we'll see what happens then. Yeah, I uh, very poorly picked Penn State in this game, most based on that their run defense, I believe, was fifth in the country, and I thought they could they could get. Michigan out of sorts a little bit by uh, by manning up and stopping the run. They did not stop the run. They had no <laughs> chance stopping the run, and uh, they just simply got you know bowled over by a superior team. and And I do think when we look at how Michigan has changed the course of the program from the COVID year, when I believe they were two and four, and Rutgers had two shots to beat them, mm-hmm. um, you know, to to where they are now. Um, the real transformation has started at that offensive line. Um, they have really established significant dominance there, and that overcame some good but not elite quarterback play last year. And now you combine that run game with a little more downfield diamondism, a very solid receiver group, and all of a sudden, you know, Michigan defensive line, I still have concerns there. But offensive line, I don't think Michigan is – against the high-end SEC team in the same way they did last year. Look, that offensive line won the Joe Moore Award last year. They weren't bad. But I, I feel like they have taken steps forward. And being able to being able to push like that is is really going to, uh, you know, only going to help them. I think maybe we got a little skewed with Michigan's offensive line. Said, See, they weren't that good, even though they won the Joe Moore Award when they got manhandled uh, by oh, yeah. Georgia in the playoff. Well, let's not let's – not- forget that that was not really a college defensive line that we're facing. They basically stepped into the NFL and, you know, I don't know that there are any defensive lines, even in the sec, they're good ones, but I'm not even sure Georgia's at full strength. In fact, I won't even say, I'm not sure it's not, it's not, it's not, they're good. They're really good. They're tough. It'd be hard to handle, but not, not what last year was, you know? So there, I don't, I don't think anybody has that this year in terms of, that, that can completely overwhelm anybody. What's your biggest takeaway from this weekend? Oh, my biggest, uh, my biggest takeaway from this weekend. Well, it's, it's hard. You know, we we're biased by what we see. Right. So I think that's, uh, I think that, you know, all, all, you know, the, the visceral feeling left in your chest from that environment in uh, that, that we obviously saw in Knoxville probably is my, uh, you know, would have that, that's where any conversation would have to start, right? But in terms of like bigger takeaway from the weekend, it's it's a uh, it, it's it's a good question. Yeah, I think like we knew Tennessee was good, right? We knew that they had been transformed under Josh Heupel. It still sounds weird to talk about them in the playoff. Like I I don't think we really consider that viable. And this is kind of one of those wins that could could change everything. I, I guess I'll give you this, Reese, because we chatted about this a little bit on the sideline. Um, and you mentioned Bryce Young earlier. 
Is Alabama a little bit vulnerable in the post Bryce Young era? Because I think he's covering up for a lot of sins. I just think he was so dynamic, moved the ball so well. You lose next year, him, Gibbs, and Anderson. And again, Alabama has lost and replenished at a very rapid rate. But there's also some holes there. I think you're going to end up seeing some staff changes at Alabama, people moving on or moving out. I, I just think like there's there's a there's a taste of mortality there that we maybe haven't seen much there in the last decade. And again, writing off Nick Saban, writing off Alabama is foolish. There's uh, gigabytes of wasted internet ink about they lost to Ole Miss and they lost to Hugh Freeze and their dynasty's dead and da da da. da. But I, I would I'd be curious like what you think the state of the union of, of Alabama is right now. We saw them look pretty mortal in two road games this year. Mm-hmm. I have openly mocked and chastised a number of our colleagues in the media who stupidly raced to their computers or their microphones to declare the dynasty dead every time they lost a game because it was just that. That was the ultimate dumb loses more than smart wins. And it was the (laughs) idea. It was the idea. I'm going to be the first to say it so that I can say, hey, look. This is a real vulnerability that needs to be fixed. I'm not saying the dynasty's dead or over. They can't do it. But they have, as opposed to earlier when they just maybe had bad games, you know, uh, the Ole Miss game comes to mind where everybody declared it over in 2015. They turned the ball over five times, had a, a ball bounce off a guy's helmet and go for an Ole Miss touchdown. You know, there's always been the weird things in those games. These are self-inflicted right now. 15 penalties against Texas, 17 penalties against Tennessee. They don't play the ball well in the air on the corners. They they didn't get creative enough to use their pass rushers to apply any significant heat to Hendon Hooker because, you know, it felt like to me at times that they were worried about Hendon Hooker scrambling. Well, sure, yeah, Uh 16-yard quarterback scrambles to move the chains, that, that'll hurt you. So will 76-yard touchdown passes. You know, so, you know, they they have some things that need addressed. And addressing them without those guys you mentioned um, I, will be duf- difficult. So I'm not declaring it over, but I do think it's a valid observation right now to say that there, there are some insufficiencies and weaknesses that have not been present in earlier iterations of, oh, my goodness, you know, Alabama may be vulnerable. They are vulnerable, much of it self-inflicted. And the question now becomes is, can they fix it? Or is this just who they are? You know, is this, they are just, are they just uh, an undisciplined, sloppy team that makes up for it through virtuoso performances from their quarterback and, and often from their uh, two pass rushing, two or three pass rushing defensive linemen or linebackers in Anderson, Turner, and Braswell. So I do think that there's some vulnerability there. My big takeaway from the weekend is what I said off the top. The closest team to the playoff right now, the most direct path, is Tennessee. And Tennessee has uh, you know, a bye week, which is perfect for them. Not really. They play UT Martin, but that's perfect. You go in, you play, you get over this whole Alabama thing. Kentucky's at home. Kentucky doesn't have the offense to beat them. There's no way that happens. Then they, Cedric Tillman is probably back for that game, by the way. Yeah. And the fact and, that Tennessee has done all this without the guy who's by far their best receiver going into the year. I believe he was the leading receiver in the SEC. Sorry to cut you off. But I do think like 
when you're if you're new to Tennessee and you're judging their calculus, that's a huge factor in the Tennessee calculus. Yeah. And you know what? They've done okay because they threw the ball six times to one guy on Saturday and he scored five touchdowns. And Jay and I had so we we should have mentioned that off the top. Yes. As great as Hendon Hooker was, and he was phenomenal. Desmond and you and I were standing on the sidelines and we were just like putting up. He's got four touchdowns. He got five catches, four touchdowns. Now it's six catches and five touchdowns. He was amazing. And, uh, you know, so they've got him. They've got Brew McCoy. They're, you know, they're decent at the running back position. It balances them out nicely. Hendon can run it. Um, Anyway, back to the point. It's what we said at the beginning, the Georgia game and then Missouri, South Carolina, Vanderbilt. I mean, you know, really they're closest it doesn't mean they're lock but you know it's hard to envision a scenario where they're not sitting right there on selection day whether as sec champion sec runner-up or as a one loss only loss being on the road to georgia um at large bid it's they are they have the most direct path they are closest right now. That's that's my big takeaway from the weekend. It's a it's a it's a great takeaway. Um, and I apologize for cutting you off on that Tillman point that it just sort of popped it popped in my popped that's in what my we do. Head. We convert. Yeah. We we have conversation. We're talkative and undisciplined here. Yeah. That's what we do. We are definitely undisciplined. <laughs> um, also undisciplined was Alabama's defense, which left Demarco Helms just completely exposed. And give give uh, Alex Golish, the play caller for Tennessee, a ton of credit because they found him. They found number two over and over and over on Saturday. And the fact that Alabama did not adjust to that, they did not put in extra corners. Helms is a safety, and he's just not great in coverage. And that 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 certainly he could have played better, but I think some of that goes goes on the uh, goes on the coaching staff at Alabama, as does not running the ball when they got down to the thirty ish. And if for if for no other reason. Then Gibbs could have made a 50-yard field goal, a 60-yard field goal. Also would not have get Tennessee those precious seconds to pop it back 40 yards and kick their field goal. So yeah. that that was a mistake. Um, you know, people make fun of the analytic guys with a binder. But one of those analytic guys with a binder would have said, hey, you know, uh, don't give them – like eliminate losing from the equation right. before you go win. And that, that play calling sequence did not eliminate losing from the situation, and they lost. Oh, and, and the one other – play on that too is Gibbs sort of stumbled on a little angle route that he ran and then didn't make the catch if he yeah. catches the ball he probably scores and if not it's a it's an extra point length field goal but to your point he didn't catch it and the clock stopped and it left it left time there and every there could be a number of dumb loses more than smart wins moments from this week and mm-hmm. you know I'm not we've we've talked exhaustively about Alabama Tennessee so I don't want to yeah. pick on Quandarius Robinson who sort of inexplicably touched that Tennessee punt and gave him the ball back and you know everybody saw Nick flip out on the sidelines I, I have no idea what he was thinking but the uh, internet it, thanks him because that gift will last a long, long yeah, time. Yeah, 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 it will for a really long time. But the 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 dumb loses your paycheck more than smart wins, at least temporarily, uh, has to come from way off the radar and Fresno State, San Jose State game. Mm. Fresno State, an assistant coach up in the booth, get angry after San Jose scored a touchdown and he punches the glass and the glass breaks. And unfortunately, people were, were hurt below, you know, had to be taken to the hospital, some cuts and so forth. And they, they've placed him on leave. At, at the very least, 
being dumb and not controlling your emotions cost you your paycheck maybe for a while maybe maybe he's going to look for have to look for a new place who knows but all of this dumb loses more than smart wins and it's all of all people it's all ken dorsey's fault <laughs> coordinator from the bills who flipped out in the in the booth he didn't punch the glass he's beating up his playbook of all people by the way the unflappable ken dorsey of miami yeah. hurricane fame and now these assistant coaches they always look up to their role models in the pros so now they're going to start punching glass and stuff in mm -hmm. in stadiums and injuring fans don't be dumb uh be a grown-up you know i mean Give yourself an ulcer on the inside and grind like the rest of us and stop, you know, showing somebody come make me feel better because my team did something I didn't like, you know, just just scream. Don't hit stuff and put other people in, in danger. So dumb loses your paycheck, at least for a while. Hopefully not longer. I don't wish him ill. He's not been identified. You probably know because nothing gets past the authority. But dumb loses your paycheck more than. Smart wins it because he didn't have the right defensive call in or something. Yeah, that's uh, we'll uh, we'll let we'll let random uh, bulldog assistant rename uh, remain nameless for uh, for now. But that's that's unfortunate. Now, when I watch the Dorsey clip, I'm going softer because I watch the Dorsey clip. I actually watch it with a ton of empathy because you like these guys work 90 hours a week. They put everything in. And then like those final like you have everything set and those final seconds slip away. And like, you know, sleeping four hours a night, go all the stuff these guys do. These these football coaches work incredibly hard. Just ask them. They'd be happy to tell you about yeah, it. Yeah, um, they'll tell you. Wait till, <laughs> wait, wait, till, wait till Teddy plays for some of these guys. Your perspective on them will change. Yeah, that's fair. That, that's, 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 that's very, very. Teddy ain't playing for a glass puncher. I'll tell you that. <laughs> oh, man. We appreciate you listening. What a, what a great weekend on Rocky Top. We've been there twice in the yeah. second trip. Outdid the first. Tremendous fans. It's great to have them back in the mix in the upper echelon of college football. And we are turning the corner. So a couple weeks away from the first rankings coming out and we'll turn the page on Wednesday and start looking ahead to the weekend's games, which certainly uh, unlikely to live up to what we saw this past weekend. But still, the games get of uh, greater importance as we go along. College game day on its way to Oregon for the Chip Kelly reunion tour again as he goes back to Austin Stadium. We'll talk about that extensively on Wednesday. We encourage you to download this podcast wherever it is that you get your podcast and prefer to do it. For Pete, I'm Reese, Taylor, and Sarah. They're wonderful. They put this thing together for us. See you on Wednesday.